Welcome to the Mindful Magic Podcast. I'm Katie Hill. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you ideas, tools, and ways of thinking that will support you and your child to uncover your inner calm, your joy default. A huge welcome to Susie Redding, who is an author, psychologist, yogi, trained fitness coach, and public speaker. Susie makes regular contributions to Psychology's magazine, is the psychology expert for Neom Organics, and is on the editorial board for the new wellness magazine aimed at parents of little ones, Motherdom. Susie is all about self-care and her hashtag Monday Micro Moments on Instagram. They provide a wonderful opportunity to find out more about little everyday tools to support your self-care. And she has a new book out this week called The Little Book of Self-Care. Welcome. It's so lovely to have you here. Oh, Katie, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a great privilege and a great pleasure. <laughs> That's really kind. <laughs> so um, it's, it's so lovely when, you, when someone comes on and you immediately feel such warmth from them. And I really felt that from you. <laughs> you have that, you have, you have warmth. You give across a lot of warmth. So thank you. Um, so obviously this is a lot of what we do is all about mindfulness. So I want to ask you about mindfulness um, because your second book, Stand Tall Like a Mountain, is about mindfulness and self-care for parents and children. So mm-hmm. it's a very popular subject at the moment. Where did you first come across mindfulness? Oh, what a great question. Um, probably with my yoga teacher training. So I embarked on that in 2002 um i think it was probably a few years later when i read the power of now um by eckhart tolle that that just it blew my mind and and that's that's where i really understood oh this is this is really foundational stuff um and so yoga has been the vehicle for developing the skill of mindfulness and and it's funny, my, my publisher wanted me to write a book on mindfulness for kids. And, and I thought, yes, I want to do that, but I want to, I want to include the self-care element too because I think they're both really important. Yeah, I think there are lots of other applications of mindfulness that that's really where this, the self-care component comes in. So this is really, really broad. This is, this is changing the lens through which you see life, but also it's really about very practical tools that you can dot through your day. Yeah, they do. They work hand in hand, don't they? I think mindfulness and self-care, they're one of, one of, the, one of the same. Is that the right term? One and part of the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah without, without mindfulness, how can we engage in self-care? Because self-care is all about checking in with where you're at and observing what it is that you need. So mindfulness is really, it's, it's without it, we, we can't take appropriate, loving, tender action. But then it's, it's also, it's a skill in itself, but then there are lots of practices based on mindfulness. It, it can be really confusing for people, can't it? Because we use the term mindfulness in so many different ways. It's, it's a skill, but it's also a practice. 
So, yeah, there's a lot of confusion out there. Yeah. I think we understand it's important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I think there is a lot of confusion, isn't there? Because it's banded around, the term is banded around in so many different contexts at the moment. And it's, it's, it's about what you do, yes, but it's, it's also about the, and yeah, it's about the understanding that you gain from it too, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And I think really there's a perspective shift, isn't there? when someone understands the concept of mindfulness. That's, that's when, for kids, the message that I want to try and communicate to, to my kids is that you're not your thoughts, you're not your emotions, you're not your sensations, you're not your memories. You experience those things. And, and in that understanding, it creates a sense of space where kids can, you don't feel so at the ransom of all of those passing states. You can just step back and, and see them for what they are and know that you are the witness of those things and that you can then choose. And, you know, you can have an angry thought and that doesn't mean you're an angry person. So I, I think these are really, really powerful concepts that children from a really early age can understand and benefit from. But also as parents, I think we need to cut ourselves some, some slack and understand that a lot of these skills and concepts weren't, modelled for us when we were growing up. Our kids are learning them now in school and we're actually learning them at the same time as parents. But that's okay because that gives us an opportunity to, to model the beginner's mind and growth mindset and learn at the same time with our kids and, and really genuinely share the journey with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what you said was almost word for word what I'd written down from your book about... Um, saying to children that they're not their thoughts they have the thoughts and they're not their feelings they experience the feelings or yeah feel, feel the emotions feel the emotions mm -hmm. yeah so I love that I also really loved the um analogy that you gave about having like a mind garden um yeah. can you explain that sure um I think this one really resonates with kids and they can get um they can get creative with it and they can draw it. And that's something that will help them remember to use this tool themselves. I think every kid needs their own self-care journal. So this is the kind of activity that you could put in there. Okay, so the mind garden. The way I explained it to my daughter was that our thoughts are like plants that grow in our garden, okay? There are thoughts that are pleasant and lovely and these are the ones that bloom into the kind of flowers that we want to cultivate. And then there, there are some other thoughts that might be negative or not so constructive or nasty. And those thoughts are going to come anyway, right? They, there's a place for all thoughts. It's just a thought, okay? And those thoughts are like weeds or the plants that you don't want to encourage. And our job is not to say to ourselves, we mustn't have a particular type of thought. Our job as the gardener of our mind garden is to lovingly tend to the thoughts that we want to cultivate and encourage. So that means we pour our energy and time and attention, and that is by watering and directing the rays of the sun to, to the thoughts that take us closer to, to the people that we aspire to be or, you know, a particular goal that we have. And we just allow those other thoughts to be there, but don't spend lots of time on it. Don't water it. Don't, you know, don't, till the soil around it yeah allow yourself to have the whole gamut of, of thoughts but it's about where you place your energy and attention building that beautiful mind garden
I just, I love that so much because so many people that I've worked with think that mindfulness is about controlling thoughts and trying to avoid negative thoughts. And the amount of times that I say, you can't stop what comes into your head. You can't stop the thoughts that land there. That's what happens. Um, but the idea of cultivating the ones, you know, the, the, the more helpful thoughts um, yes. it's just, I just think that's such a beautiful way of explaining it. it must be, I think it'd be really helpful for the listeners of the podcast to explain to their children. Yeah, I think, I think you're spot on there. When, I think when, when we try and uh, eliminate particular thoughts or say we shouldn't have them, we mustn't have them, can't have them, they loom even larger. It's almost like you're giving more energy to it. Um, so... I think it's really freeing just saying, yeah, I've had that thought, but I'm not then going to invest more time and energy into it. And it's like your eyes are designed to see and you don't get upset with your eyes for seeing unpleasant things or things you don't want to see. They're just designed to see. Your mind is designed to think and it's going to think all sorts of thoughts, things that are helpful, things that are unhelpful. So it's, it's not about clearing the mind. It's about how can we allow ourselves to just think and feel as normal, fallible human beings do, but then direct our energy and attention in a way that is, is constructive and, and, and values-based. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the work that you do, how has your understanding of mindfulness influenced it? Because you, you, you were trained as a yoga teacher um, mm-hmm. and a fitness coach. And then how has this all kind of developed? What's your, what's your story? Oh, do you know what? There have been so many crazy twists and turns. So (laughs) I originally trained as a psychologist. And when I was going through uni, my part-time job was working as a personal trainer. Um, When I finished my degree, I was in my early 20s. And I thought, I always knew I wanted to work in this kind of therapeutic space, um, helping people navigate change and helping people uh, achieve whatever it is, you know, in terms of well-being, their goals. In my 20s, I thought, who's going to come and see me? I haven't, I haven't lived enough. I haven't sort of earned my stripes yet. And I, I worked for seven years as a health coach and a personal trainer because I thought, you know, that's, it was a great resonance. And I just moved to London and Australian personal trainers are very highly regarded. And <laughs> I kind of fell into that and it was a really thriving business. At the same time, that's when I did my yoga teacher training qualifications. And that for me was really pivotal in understanding, you know, the the connection between mind and body, the fact that mental health and physical health are totally inseparable. And even though I was working under the label of personal trainer, I knew that I was helping people create change that was far greater than just rippling abs and toned thighs. This, This was about allowing people to step up and be the kind of people that they aspired to be. And I loved that it was equally informed. The work that I was doing in that gym environment was equally, equally informed by psychology, yoga, and, and PT. And it was really the meeting of the, the head, the heart, and the body. And even now, I don't work in a gym environment. Uh, I work in a consulting room where I take people out for walk and talk sessions. Every single person I work with will walk away with some kind of movement prescription. They'll walk away with some kind of breathing visualization, meditation, mindfulness technique, and they're going to walk away with obviously coping tools that I prescribe as a psychologist. But it's, it's, I love that all these crazy twists and turns finally make sense. (laughs) (laughs) And there are so many different ways in 
you can use the mind, you can use the breath, you can use the body, and it's just about finding where there's a resonance and that starting point where someone feels like, yeah, this is, this is the way in for me. That's it. And what you cover in, on Instagram in particular, if people follow you on Instagram, they'll know how much you cover through your social media and through going out and speaking to people at you know, public events. And there's just so many options for people. Yeah, so many ways in, like you say, for cultivating their self-care and, you know, giving themselves time. Mm. So, go on, sorry. I, I just, that's such a great point. You know, I think that's another reason why self-care can feel confusing for, for people because what one, one person finds nurturing might resonate for the next. And, and even our own needs are changing constantly over time. So we need a really broad toolkit. So, that, I mean, you look at the nature of stress. It happens on a daily basis. <laughs> we, need, we need these nourishing uh, skills and practices just dotted through our day so that we can navigate that stress. And that's why we need this really broad toolkit from which to draw. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's wonderful. And how has mindfulness, in, mind, I can't even say the word, I should be able to say the words, like, <laughs> should be rolling off my tongue. How has mindfulness had an impact on your parenting? Ah, do you know, I can't, I can't think of a single aspect of life that is not underpinned by the skill of mindfulness. It's, it's been so crucial in allowing me to just be a normal, fallible human being and make mistakes and grow and learn. Um, it's, it's helped to, to create that, that space to consider, okay, this is happening. <laughs> Whether I like it or not, this thing is happening. Um, it's, it's that calm abiding centre that if there's one thing I could give my kids, it's that. And that's what mindfulness helps me to tap into, that feeling of equanimity, that peacefulness in, in the face of all of the, the, the maelstrom of outer events, inner events, but knowing that then I have a choice as to how I respond. So, you know, it's, it helps me develop self-compassion that allows me to grow and make my mistake, but it also helps me in the moment to, to, to try and, and be the mum that I want to be more often because it's challenging you know the nature of parenthood is really tough it is really tough and it's a marathon isn't it it's not a sprint the nature of the challenge just changes yeah. so it is something that I constantly constantly draw on in the moment but also as a means of replenishing and nourishing myself um, so it helps me cope but then I set aside time for specific mindfulness practices that will help me recover from stressful events. Or if I know I've got something big coming up, I'll, I'll make sure there's, I've carved out some time to sort of build a little bit of a protective buffer. So my energy bank balance is, is in a good state before I've got that big thing coming up. What are some of your favourite mindfulness-based practices to use that you use with your children? Ah, um, I think nature is so easily accessible. So we spend an awful lot of time um, imbibing nature's beauty. And I, I love that my kids have got it so much so that, you know, on our school run, my daughter this morning, we were in a rush. 
<laughs> my daughter this morning stopped and looked at the footpath and saw there was a little tiny uh, blue bird's egg and she scooped it up and she said, Mummy, I know we're in a hurry, but I'm just going to pick this up and take it with me. So she, she still acknowledged that, hey, this is not the time to spend half an hour looking at this. But she knew it was something really special, so she scooped it up and wanted to take it with her. So you know, it's really building that muscle of appreciation, of noticing, because it would have been so easy just to stride past that. But she's, it's, it's like you're fine-tuning your vision to see things that are uh, uplifting or inspiring. Um, you know, that pique the curiosity. And I think those skills change the way that you experience your day. So, yeah, be on the lookout for nature's beauty, whether it's going on a walk where you're just looking at the different shape of leaves or in your own garden, you don't have to go very far, get down on your hands and knees and do a little mini beast hunt and just see what you can find. Or it's um, with my eight-year-old, we use affirmations and mantras. So like we were saying before about unhelpful thoughts, it's not about clearing your mind of that unhelpful thought. Give your mind something constructive to anchor on. So we use mantra, and that, that's, that's really powerful for her. In particular, it's around bedtime. Sometimes my little one feels anxious about not being able to get to, get to sleep. The words that she will say to me probably a dozen times at bedtime is, just rest, sleep will come. So she knows that it's all right. You don't have to be asleep to be getting the benefits of rest and relaxation. You can just lie there and soften into that, and that's just as good as being asleep. So that is a beautiful coping tool, and that's something that's really, really worked for her. Um, and then yoga. Yoga is the other vehicle because kids are so well-versed with movement. Um, yoga, the way that I approach it with kids is different to probably how adults would conceive yoga. I think people, when they think of yoga, they think, okay, roll out my mat, be on it for a certain period of time, do a certain number of sequences, that kind of thing. With kids, I use yoga more as an emotional first aid toolkit. So if they're feeling a certain way, there'll be a particular posture that will either help support them with that feeling, help them move through it, or if it's appropriate, maybe they want to change how they feel. So there'll be a particular shape that will help them cultivate how it is that they want to feel. So in that circumstance, it can be a single pose or it might be a couple of poses. Um, and it doesn't need to be, you know, we could do something sitting on the sofa or we can do something on the floor next to the bed before the little ones go to bed. Or if, if Teddy is feeling cross about something, we might just do a lion breath together. And this is, this is how we use mindfulness in response to life and its full glory. Yeah, and it helps us mums too. <laughs> That's it. I think you just picked on three times of everyday life when parents really find it, you know, it's hard that the, the walk to school or the walk wherever or getting out of the house is getting out of the house in the morning um, and going to bed. And then those times, those high stress times when there's temper tantrums or anger, like the really big emotions and what we do with them and I just think those tools are, are so incredibly useful particularly you said the emotional toolkit and you talk about that in in Stuntall Like a Mountain don't you um and I just think that's so important for parents to read and to get some ideas from because it's I mean I we had I had it this morning you know with my three-year-old I had um she came she tends to come into the room quite uh, shouty in the mornings demanding breakfast straight away and we're just rubbing our eyes trying to wake up 
Um, but it's, it kind of escalates from there and it gets quite like, ah. and sometimes it's hard to know what to do in those situations. Like how can, how can we fix it as parents? But that's the thing, isn't it, about mindfulness, that it isn't about fixing. It's, mm. it's just acknowledging that those feelings are okay. We don't need to suppress them. But there's also ways to then move on from it. And Absolutely. Not, yeah. I think it's so important to be able to, to, to bear witness, to validate. Mm. Um, and, and to be fair, you know, they're, they're, we do need to evaluate, is this emotion appropriate to the situation or is the intensity appropriate? But first and foremost, we need to validate, you know, and, and so often as parents we sort of feel like we need to rush in and fix. And sometimes, you know, the, the, our children need support, but it's not about removing that emotion. That emotion is, is, is how anyone would feel in that circumstance, but it's about listening and hearing and then helping our kids understand what it is that they're feeling and building their vocabulary so that they can describe their emotions with, with, with a richness. Um, and then what do you do with them? Yeah, it's okay to feel. It's like... What then do we do with it in, in a constructive way that will help us achieve what it is that we want to achieve in this moment? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The acknowledgement. The, I love how the, the term you use, bearing witness to what's happening and validating. I just think that's so key. I just, I think there are so many times, myself included, where you just want to, because whatever's happening, you're busy or you want to get out or you want to, you know, you just want it to stop. Yes. Um, and it's, you can't, you can't stop life unfolding in front of you. Um, but you can work together, actually. I think working together with your children's a really important idea too, that talking about, is this, is this appropriate right now? Like, is this a, a big problem or a little problem? Or like, how do we, how do we react to this? What, what would be a solution? How, how can we go forward? Yeah. Our kids are remarkably resourceful. I'm constantly amazed at the creativity my children show. And it's just a matter of having a dialogue and developing a partnership. And, you know, when you're in the throes of those really big emotions, maybe that's not exactly the time to sit down and talk about, well, how can we do things differently? What I quite like to do is to share with my kids how I'm feeling so that we, you know, they, they can see that everybody feels. It's not about only being a certain way it's 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 picking picking and choosing your time yeah <laughs> but having these conversations and getting it on the radar because when you look at how we we take care of our kids we teach them how to brush their teeth you teach them road safety we teach them about healthy eating this is just another facet of health it's looking at emotional health so we choose our time to sit down and have conversations and I hope that the book will be a really a useful starting point. And the diagrams, I think, can make it really accessible to kids. Even if they can't read, the pictures will help them understand that, ah, oh, okay, this is just another way that we take care of our health. Yeah, that's exactly it. That is exactly it. <laughs> it is just another thing that, yeah, we, we can teach children just like anything else, exactly, just as important as... As brushing your teeth. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So what would you like to see for our children? Like what would, you, what would be the kind of ideal world for our children, the ideal kind of understanding for our children? Okay. I, I think there are three really beautiful skills 
or capabilities that I would I would love for my kids to have. And if more people had these skills, the world would be a far more peaceful place. And this is what Stand Tall Like a Mountain is all about. So if you imagine an image of the mountain, now at the base of the mountain, this is representing resilience. Yeah, the ability to bounce back, a real sense of strength, a firm grounding. And then at the centre of the mountain, there's this feeling of calm, this equanimity, the ability to be calm and composed in the face of challenge because life is inherently challenging. And then if you imagine the, the apex of the mountain, what that represents is a feeling of hopefulness, optimism, faith. And when you've got all of those three, that, that, that beautiful mountain image, I mean, that just prepares you so beautifully for life, doesn't it? Um, and, and maybe the, the other skill there would be compassion. But I would hope that that was wrapped up in, in equanimity and, 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 and hopefulness. But these are just, you know, when you talk about them, I get goosebumps when I talk about it. You know, these are really uplifting, enlivening concepts that fill us with zest. Yeah, so even if those words don't kind of leap out at kids, if you ask them to stand tall like a mountain, if you ask them to imagine an image of a mountain in their minds, they're going to come into a physical shape that will help them embody what those skills mean. So you can talk about it or you can use your body and, and we're there. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Brilliant. Because <laughs> resilience is something that's talked about a lot as well, isn't it? In schools as well. There's so much around resilience. And I think um, children and understand, well, obviously it depends on the age, but I was a secondary teacher and there was a lot, we, we always used to talk about resilience and children used to think it was just like going at something and, and not giving up even though they were exhausted and they really didn't want to carry on. And, and it's not, it's not really that it's, it's, it's keeping going. Yes. In the face of challenges, but it's not like wearing yourself out to the point where you can't do anything, anything else. Um, and I think that's maybe where it's been a little bit misunderstood. But the more that we talk about those words, yeah, that's, that's going to just embed, isn't it, into the lives of our children and hopefully as well the, the education system too and the way our children are taught. Um, what do you think uh, is like the biggest challenge facing schools? Do you know, I really, I don't envy the task that they face because it's tough, isn't it? You know, they've got all of these um, hoops to jump through in terms of preparing our kids for the, the testing procedures that they go through. So it's, it's ticking off boxes there. But, you know, as parents, we want our schools to show our kids that there are lots of different ways to shine, that it's not just about mathematical ability or handwriting or spelling or you know yes those things are important but I, I want my daughter to understand that her sense of humor is just as valuable as you know the kid that understands science you know so I think schools face a really difficult job of of, of meeting all of those requirements but also encouraging our children to flourish in, in all of their individual pursuits and wow how on earth two people can manage 30 children 
and engage their attention and and meet all of those requirements and encourage and mediate and all of the rest of it just I think even just keeping that number of children safe <laughs> hats off to them it's it's a really it's it's not a job it's a vocation and I think teachers should be handsomely rewarded for their incredible efforts and energy it's a tough job yeah I can vouch for that <laughs> and at secondary there's often just one to 30 <laughs> so Honestly, yeah. the mind boggles because you think about it, it's it's not just aptitude. It's like people have different receptivities to way things are, are, are delivered. How on earth do you meet the needs of that many people? Ah, oh, the mind boggles. Yeah, it does. Yeah, teachers are. I think we, we've talked quite a lot um, on previous podcasts um, about teachers um, and their well-being as well because I think that's just as important if if teachers don't take care of themselves and um, aren't given the opportunity even to take care of themselves then how on earth can we expect the children that they spend all their time with to do the same yeah. mm. so I've got a few sort of quick fire questions for you okay um, the first one is what does joy look like for you today oh Joy looks like openness, openness to experience. It looks like curiosity and it's also tenderness. That's, that's what joy means to me. Oh, I love that. That's lovely. When was the last time that you felt you were really in flow doing something? Oh, do you know what? My little boy, we've just come back from half term, right? Every morning in half term. He was awake before I was ready to be awake. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> We're three days in to the school week. Every single day he's had a bit of a sleep in this week. And this morning it got to when I really needed to get him out of bed. And I went up there and I just, I was just giving him a little gentle touch to wake him up. And he woke up happy and we just kept going with it. And he ended up doing some yoga poses in bed. It was really funny. But it was just this moment of, we might be a little bit later, but actually this is probably going to take two minutes and it resulted in a massive cuddle and it was time well spent. And it was just such a lovely, a lovely opportunity to connect with him with touch and with humour and, and with movement. And it was just joyful. Oh, that's wonderful. And that's it. We can be in such a rush, can't we? That those moments of connection can often be lost or, or brushed over or dismissed quite quickly. And the funny thing was, we have a little um, uh, a monitor in his room and my daughter downstairs was watching what we were doing on the monitor and she was having such a giggle at us. So it was just a lovely shared experience. <laughs> that's, the day. Oh, that's lovely. What a, what a nice start to the day. <laughs> so there's um, a lot of parents that listen to this um, and some who will be struggling today, whether they are dealing with a newborn or otherwise because we know the newborn phase is so hard it's such a it's such a challenging time also a beautiful time but so challenging too what's the one thing that you'd want parents to know who are listening oh please 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 go gently on you and and things will change I can remember as um when I was born a mum I I said these words out loud I I wondered how long it would take for sleep deprivation to kill me 
because that's how that's how rough I felt. And gosh, the, the only way that I can put it into words is energetic bankruptcy. Oh, I just yeah. felt mm. totally, totally spent. Um, and even as a psychologist, yoga teacher, health coach, with all of those resources at my fingertips reach, I still couldn't see the forest for the trees. I literally couldn't think straight. I didn't know how to help myself. I was just so knackered. Um, and I needed someone else in partnership with me to say, hey, try this thing, okay? When you look at what we experience as parents, the things that we used to do to nourish ourselves before we become parents often become completely inaccessible to us because we don't have the same time, energy or finances. But equally, in that brain squeeze, in that frazzled nervous system, feeling totally fried, that's when we're least resourceful and creative to come up with other ideas. You know, how is it to you? How do you nourish yourself when you're in that state? Um, and that's why I'm so passionate about empowering people with really, really simple tools that are accessible. You don't have to make an appointment. You don't have to pay 50 quid. You don't even have to leave the house. There are things that you can do to nourish yourself and they make a tangible difference. And little bit by little bit, with those tiny little deposits in your energy bank, you'll make more and more nourishing decisions and you'll speak to yourself with greater kindness and you, you'll be able to see the forest for the trees again and things will change and it will get better. But please, first and foremost, throw yourself a bone. <laughs> That's what I wish I did. I wish I was much kinder to myself and more gentle because I think really beautiful things will, will blossom from that place of self-compassion. Mm. I was talking to a good friend the other day who has got a newborn and she's constantly questioning herself, even though it's not her first um, child, she's still questioning all the decisions that she's making. And I think that's just, that's how it is, isn't it? It's so common because you're, not only are you sleep deprived and you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I don't know what's going on, but it's a new human being. You've got a new a new human, a new life that you, you don't know this, this human yet. You're getting to know them. So it's a whole, oh, I've just given myself, oh, mm. let's myself these pimples thinking about mm. it. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't know that, that little life yet. And it is that journey of getting to know them and, and taking care of, of you. Mm -hmm. The weight of that responsibility is huge, isn't it? You know, these the tiny little helpless beings who can't tell us what it is that they need. And it, yeah, you're right. Even if you have had children before, every child is different. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's enormous. And my mantra is sleep for sanity. If you're only getting two or three hours of sleep at a time, your decision-making is going to be impaired because we, it's just adults need seven to nine hours of sleep to function. So if you're yeah. not getting good sleep, you just go gently on yourself. Don't worry if you're forgetting things. <laughs> Clarity will return. Sleep will return. In its absence, that's when we need the soothing self-care. Yeah, that's when we need to carve out little moments where we can be with our breath or do a soothing yoga pose or massage your horns. Yeah, that's one of my favourites. It's so powerful, so powerful. And, and yeah, <laughs> go gently. Mm. Um, we talk a lot about your joy default in mindful magic what do you hear in that phrase oh joy default i think it's it, it, it kind of comes back to my experience of joy i think it's just 
children embody it, don't they? Where they're just, they're so in this moment and they're noticing and they're appreciating and there's such a, a, a beautiful curiosity to it. Then it's not filtered or, or layered by other stuff. It's just a, a, a blissful innocence of bearing witness. Amazing. Amazing. You have such a wonderful way with language. <laughs> Your explanations are so, they're just so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I, I just, I just hope that, um, you know, this stuff can feel heavy and it can feel like another thing to do. And the last thing I want is for people to feel guilty about not engaging in better self-care. And I certainly don't want people to think that all of my school runs are full of you know, laughter and sunshine, you know, I'm just like everybody else. We all have tough moments and tough times, tough times. And, um, but we're in it together, aren't we? Yeah. We yeah. share the journey together and we spare each other on. And I think an honest dialogue about these things can be very therapeutic. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd recommend everyone to follow you on Instagram because there's just, like I said, there's so much on there. And I think what you're building is a lovely community and a, a, a revolution, a self-care revolution, as you put it, which is absolutely right. Um, encouraging everyone to take more time for themselves and yeah, mindfulness included in that. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Katie. I've loved pondering your questions and uh, you know, I've, I feel uplifted. So thank you. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thank you very much. And hopefully everyone listening does too. I'm sure they will. Um, just a reminder as well that you're, so you've got Stand Tall Like a Mountain, which is the book mm -hmm. um, for parents and children. And mm -hmm. then this week, the little book of self-care is out. By the time this podcast is out, it will already have been out <laughs> for at least a week. So um, you'd be able to get hold of that everywhere. <laughs> Thank you so much, Susie. Thank you, Katie. Take care now. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Mindful Magic and how you can join our movement, pop over to www.mindfulmagic.info or see us on facebook.com slash mindfulmagicmovement. We look forward to being in touch soon.